Today's sermon text is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. Thank you, Kristen. Good morning. My name is Robert. Uh, I'm a pastoral resident here at Renewal. Been here about a year and just loving it. Uh, born and raised here in Memphis, and it's just been a joy to, to be here with you guys over the past year and, and look forward to, Lord willing, many years to come. Um, so thanks for coming. I know it's, I know it's the, uh, the summer. Hopefully you're taking some vacation um, and enjoying that. But uh, thank you for coming here. I'm excited about God's Word. I've been wrestling with this passage for like a month. It's, you know, I'm part of this preaching team, and when you only preach every so often, I've got like forever to work on this passage, so it's just exhausting to me. Uh, just forever to work and work. I've been wrestling with God. Um, uh, Chris talked about that story in the Old Testament a few uh, weeks ago about Jacob wrestling with God. I feel like I've been wrestling with God over the past few weeks, and even till last night, I was up till 3.30 uh, wrestling with God, saying, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Bless me, God. Bless me so I can bless, bless the people today. And that's what I want you, that's the position I want you to have this morning as the word is preached. Izzy's going to put up just the, the passage of scripture behind me. It's going to be up the entire time as I go back and forth between the different verses. I want you to look at God's word and say, God, don't let me go until you bless me this morning. God is here to bless us. We came here to be blessed by God. I don't want you to be blessed by God this morning. Don't let God go. Let him bless you. So uh, my my main question um, that I think this passage demands us to ask is, is, is your life mainly about you? What do you consider? Do you consider that your life is mainly about you? A quick story. uh, My brother was a great guy. I love him. He was a pyromaniac. And, and that's my dad that just laughed because he knows the story. So he, he would get in his room and burn these candles uh, to burn them down onto these plastic plates. <laughs> he didn't even use like glass plates or it was plastic plates. And he would play with the wax as they would melt together. And dad was so scared he was going to burn the house down. And, and David, uh, when dad, you know, was talking to him about this, David was like, well, it's my room. It's my life. It's my room. <laughs> you know what dad did? He went, oh, you think so, buddy? He went into the uh, garage, got his tools, uh, went to David's door, and went, no, you know, and removed the door off of David's room and says, this is not your room. I said, do you pay rent here? <laughs> Are you paying for this? No, this is my room. I let you in here because I'm a dad. I, you know, I was like, I watched that. I remember staying in the hall being like, woo, okay. That's good. And so David's door was off his room. I don't know how long, but until David stopped playing with fire in his room. Uh, but we all have this sense, don't we, that life is about us. It's, it's my room. It's my life. I can do what I want. I mean, 
our culture tells us this in so many ways, in so many ways. We tell ourselves this in so many ways. It's our room. It's my life. Is life about you. Chapter 2 of Philippians, and really going even the whole book, but especially the past two weeks as Ron preached and Chris preached, it's very clear, boldly clear, I would say, our life is not about us. The Christian life, its greatest ethic is love for others, considering others more important than yourselves. To pour yourself out, as we see in our passage today. In other words, life is not about you. All of us are in this boat. We're guilty of this. I'm extremely guilty of this. I'm very good at living my life for my own desires. So assess your life at this moment as as I'm preaching. Assess your life. Is what you work for most in your life your own good, your own happiness? Do you spend most of your your, your waking hours thinking about how I can better my life? What can I do to, to ease my comfort, to get more money to, so I can live a better life? What can I do to get my way? How do I strategize to do that? Are you trying to maximize your own happiness? If so, if that's you, and as I said, it's kind of all of us, there's two things I want us to say. I want us to learn from this passage. First of all, that's not what the Christian life is about, as I said. It's about loving others, supporting ourselves out. And secondly... You're selling your own pleasure and your own happiness short if you're living for your own pleasure. If, if you care most about being your own God, getting your way to maximize your pleasure, you're messing it up. You're selling yourself short. We'll talk about that later. So look, let's look at the context here. Verse, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. You see that first word, therefore. Someone taught me this once, and it's always stuck with me. When you see the word therefore, you see what is it there for. Chris has said this before. It's a great little, when you're reading your Bible, it's a great little way to study your Bible. To always, if you see the word therefore, look back. And, yeah, so you can go back, Izzy, to the, the passage that was, that was preached on. What, what Paul just got done talking about was, was the heart of God's nature. And it's shocking. It is Jesus Christ going from, is pouring himself out from heaven. And he says, this is the nature of our God. It's amazing. This is, listen to the dissension of Christ. Christ, who is one with God in the glories of heaven, went to become a baby, to a servant, to a criminal, to a dead criminal. All for you. That is the, that is the mind of Christ. Can we never get over this? As I was, I was preparing for this, I just was like, oh, shocked me once again. The gospel, what Izzy was sharing this is the gospel. God came down to us. I once heard a story of, of a missionary who was over in India talking with different people of different religions. And he was trying to understand their faith, understand, you know, what the world religions are all about. And they were describing him the different things they had to do, the different sacrifices they had to make, the different rituals they had to do to perform in order to be at peace with their God, to get uh, some, sort, some form of salvation with their God. And, and he, so he said to him, he said, okay, so... As I understand, you're saying your God is at the top of a mountain. And this is all that you're describing, all the things you got to do to get to the top of the mountain, correct? And they were like, yeah, that's a, that's a good assessment. He said, let me tell you about, our, about my gospel, about, about the Christian faith. My Christian faith is that God on the mountain came down. God came down to man. He became man, and he died for man. That's, let us never get over that. Let us never get over that. That is... That is the glorious truth. That is why we love to worship. It wasn't worship 
amazing. It, worship is amazing because that is the truth. That, that is the truth of the universe. That when we sing, we get so excited because it's worth being excited about. It's worth never forgetting. It just pull, The gospel just pulses through a Christian's veins. We love to worship God in that. But let's, let's move on. What is our passage? What is our passage talking about? What are the different words that Paul uses? He's talking about obedience. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. But let's remember, people get caught up on this word work. What do we just say? What do we say that therefore was there? Christ worked. Christ did. We don't, we don't work to earn God's salvation. We work from God's salvation. We work because Christ worked. We do because he did. People want to get really caught up on this. I was listening to, uh, reading John Calvin, who was this great 16th century theologian and pastor, and uh, he was so famous because he went toe-to-toe with the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church at that time dominated the world. And at that time, and even to this day, a large part of the Catholic doctrine is we, we earn our salvation. We work for it. We, we, can, we can add to what God is doing. God has done something, but we work and add to it. And they want to point to this, this passage. And he says, no, 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 Look at the context. Look at the context. First of all, Philippians 1, 6, the first sermon that we talked about in Philippians, says God began the good work in you. He who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. So we know that this work out your salvation with fear and trembling has not, nothing to do with us earning our salvation. Okay, it's important to say. It is about obedience. That is what, that's what uh, Paul said. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation. For Paul, faith in Christ is obedience in Christ. Obey. Work. Those, those words are, are sometimes an anathema in, in, our, in our world today. We don't, we don't like the sound of that. As I said, we, we love to live a life that is trying to seek our own pleasures, and usually in the American mind, it's to get away from work. It's to get away from obedience, to not have to do hard things. It's to coast. But God calls us to work in this past. He calls us to work hard. I was, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine um, who, who's super in shape. And he's given me advice on how to get in better shape. I, out of my two brothers, I'm, I'm the, the one that's not in shape. So I've got I've to keep up with my brothers and stay in shape. And he says, Robert, don't, don't ride a bike. Uh, I was like, what? I thought riding bikes really good for you. He says, actually, because when people ride a bike, they tend to coast a lot. You know, they work real hard for a moment, then they coast. He says, just run. Lift weights. Work. Put some sweat and tears into it. I was like, I don't want to do that. But that, that's, what, that's what life is, isn't it? We, we, we feel good if, we, if we've done some hard work so we can coast. This is what happens to a lot of us when we get home from work. We've worked really hard. And then I just want, I just want to get home, sit in my, my recliner and watch Everybody Loves Raymond and eat some Oreos. That's, that is coasting right there for me. And I love it. I feel like I've earned that. I feel like I've deserved that. And it's not before I step in the door that I've got these three kids and then a fourth one crying in the other room, say, Dad, 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 Dad. You know, kind of like, mm-hmm, I just worked. You know what I mean? But that's not what God's called me to. I'm exposed to exhaust myself 
for my children. That's my job. That is, and that's what we're to do in our Christian life. Exhaust ourselves. Exhaust ourselves. Work. Work hard. If your life is easy, it's not the Christian life. When you read the scriptures, if you just go, if you get done with this and you think life is calling us to easiness, I don't know what you read. It's, that's why it's been hard reading this passage over the past month because it's just exposing all of my laziness. I am so stinking lazy. It's, it's shocking. And I'm married like the hardest working woman. So the contrast is even worse. I wish I married a lazy woman. I'd feel better about myself. <laughs> amen. Probably your husband's like, yeah, amen to that. Yeah, amen, Kenny. And you're like, yeah. Some of your wives are nodding your husband. That's right. It's you. That's me. That's me. Are we coasting into the kingdom? All these words that Paul uses. Look at, look at these words. Work. Obey. Uh, shine. Hold fast. Run. In, uh, labor. Poured out like a drink offering. And then you, he goes on to talk about Epaphroditus and Timothy. And how they, they almost died for the sake of, of working for others' joy. For working for their, their progress in the faith. And just earlier in uh, chapter 2 says, striving side by side. Look at these words. They're hard. We're, I, I, we want grace, don't we? Where's the grace? We think all, life is all about grace. That's what someone has told me once. I once shared this sermon. I was in London preaching on, on a similar subject. That we got we to work. And they said, no, no, it's about grace. It's about grace. And I went, yeah, yes, of course it's about grace. We're about to get to that. But, it, but it's, it's, it's working from grace. But it's work. Are you pouring yourself out? Or are you coasting? Are you wasting your life? To get back to uh, what my brother was talking to me about working out, we're thinking about doing this marathon, half marathon, I should say, in December. Thankfully, it's in December. And uh, we were trying to get our other brother to, to do it. And we're saying, hey, work with this. We can do these long runs together. Just imagine on that day when, when we cross the finish line. David was like, it'll, there'll be, it'll be glory. We'll be hand in hand in glory. He was, you know, building it up all great. Because, or you can just be sitting on the couch, eating some nachos, watching football. That's, that's what, that, that, those are your options. And it just struck me. I was like, ooh, that's true. We are running a race. That's one of Paul's favorite analogies in the Christian life is to run this race, to earn the prize. So when we cross the finish line on the day of Christ, we know that we have not lived a wasted life. I don't know where it is in my notes, but John, in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, let us work, let us work now. John 9, I think John 9, 4, work now. For the night is coming when we cannot work anymore. I once was at this conference when I was in college, and this man, he went to Auburn, War Eagle. And he wrote, he wrote this book, but this was this conference about. It's called The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. The one thing you can't do in heaven is to work for other salvation in this life. Oh, life is short. Life is short. Life is short. 
our lives could be gone tomorrow. Gone tomorrow. Tomorrow, you could be face to face with God Almighty. Today, today, you could be face to face with God Almighty. Do you want your life to be about coasting, phoning it in, so you can watch more Netflix movies? So you can save up as much money as you can, so you can go as many vacations as you can, so you can have happy memories with your mom and your dad and your brothers and sisters and your friends. Those are great. I'm about to go on vacation. I want to create those memories. But if that's all my life is for, we've wasted it. We've wasted it. Pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. Don't waste your life. It's, it's so hard, guys, because we, we've grown up in this American culture that, that speaks about this. And we have this glorious end goal called retirement that all of us should work hard for, to save hard for. And I'm not against retirement. I believe in it. I plan on doing it someday. But, but, but the way our world treats us is that we, we've worked hard, so now coast. We've worked hard, so now spend your life on what you want to do. And we know life changes as we get older. I know this. I know I'm a young man saying this, so I've got to be careful saying this. I know our, our, our bodies, our, our desires change as we get older. But let, let me warn you, if you're in retirement now, if you're, if you're close to it, if you're like me and you're planning for it, let me warn you, don't live your life for retirement of the good old life. I, used, I knew this old man, he's 90 now, when I knew him, he was in his 80s. You know one thing he does from home? Because he can't get around like he used to. He spent most of his life in ministry. What he does now, he, he answers email questions from all these people from all over the world that have these questions about Jesus, about the Bible, that are in these closed-off countries that they would get shot if they owned a Bible. But they can get online and they can write these questions. And this, this, this man in his retirement is, is answering these questions. Isn't that amazing? I heard of another man who, who said, I, I, I retired, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to preach the Bible, I don't, I don't know how to teach, do all these amazing things, but I know how to cook. And you know what he does? He goes on these mission trips to Africa to cook for missionaries. And he cooks. He, he shared one time there's a story when there was fighting going on. He's underneath this Jeep cooking, preparing the food. He's not wasting his life. Heard another story of these two missionaries, these two old ladies. They're in their 80s. They're on their way to this remote village, going around a turn on where these cliffs were, the brakes gave out, however they went to their death. And people want to say, oh, that's pointless. Don't they have got grandbabies back home to, to love and live with them and enjoy the last few years of their life? But can you imagine that moment? These ladies that spend their life for the gospel over the cliff and into glory, over the cliff and into the face of Christ in an instant where they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I poured out my life for you. And I lived a full life. That's the way I want to go, man. Maybe not in that exact way. Maybe peacefully in sleep by my wife. In the glory. We all pray for that, don't we? No one prays for our breaks giving out on the cliffs of somewhere. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because 
there's this moment just a year ago when I, I was up late at night. It was two in the morning, three in the morning. I was, I was in London studying at seminar. I was reading this life about George Whitfield. Man, this man was incredible. He preached. He preached 40 hours a week at least. Preached 40 hours a week, and then he worked. His life is exhausting to even read about. Don't even don't even try to compare yourself. It's, it's impossible. But at the very end of his life, he, he was killing himself because he was preaching so much. He was killing himself. And his friends were saying, stop, stop, stop. You're hurting yourself. You know what he said to them? I remember sitting in the library. I was ending cross just reading this. And I went, oh. He said, I would rather wear out than rust out. I, it was in my book, but I almost ripped it from the page in the library and, you know, took it home. I didn't. But I was like, that's it. That's it. That sentence. That's my sentence. That's my sentence. That, that's going to be mine. I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. That's going to be my goal. I'd rather wear out than rust out. Because we've all had tools in our backyard or kids' toys or, or whatever, cars. If they just sit, they get rested. And they're worthless. They're useless. useless. Do you have any rust on you right now? I know that's a hard question. I've been trying to break off this rust over the past month. I've been wrestling with God on this. I got so much rust on me. Do you want to rust out or do you want to wear out? Wear out. Wear out. This is, this is the gospel. Why? Because this is what Jesus did. We're only doing what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't cost anything he didn't already do. This is what he did. He killed himself for us, working. He sweat blood. He, he cried tears over us. So let's put some blood, sweat, and tears in our own lives for the Lord. I have no clue where I am in any of these notes. <laughs> where, why do we work? Because we're called to shine. It says we're, we're called to shine in this dark and crooked and distorted and twisted world. We shine for his glory, so we work for his glory, not for our own glory. If you're working for your own glory, you'll, you'll, you'll get exhausted. You'll hate yourself and you'll hate God for it. You'll consider him as some taskmaster. And he's not that, which we're about to get to. So great. We work for his glory. We shine for his glory. Matthew 5, 16. Let your life shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise the Father who's in heaven. We shine for his glory, not for our own glory. Oh, there's another verse. First Peter. Oh, I forgot. I can't, can't find it. It says the same thing. We work hard as unto the Lord so he gets the glory. We shine for his glory. Other reason we shine, we shine for other people's benefits. We shine to bring people to meet Jesus. We shine in their lives by working for their good, by working for justice, working for compassion, working for their physical, their emotional needs, but we work for their, for their spiritual needs. We point them to Jesus. That's what it means when it says as we hold out the word of life. We shine like lights in the universe as you hold out the word of life or hold on to the word of life. It's a message of life. It's life-giving. That's what Ron does with his team that some of you guys are part of. You're going out and you are light in your community and you're producing life. We're going to dead people to produce life. 
When you're at your jobs, you're shining, you're producing life. Christians should be the hardest workers, the best workers in whatever God's called them to. Because it's going to produce life around you. Some of you people, that's who you are in your job. People know that's who you are. You have that reputation. That person is life. They want to be around you because you're not complaining or grumbling. You're working hard. You're doing your job. And you're doing so because you've got this motivation behind you to, to, to shine for God's glory, to shine for their good. Are you shining in your work? Are you shining in your family? Shine. Light ain't shine. Light always penetrates darkness. Have you ever done, have you ever walked into a, into a dark, dark room? The smallest of light penetrates darkness, always. Darkness cannot take, take out light. Light takes out darkness. It's a fascinating thing to, to think about that. You might have a small light right now, but shine. And here's, here's another glorious thing that we, we shine together. I can't shine on my own. If I shine on my own, I'll wear out. This passage was written, it's all in plural. It's written to, to the church. We're to shine together. We're to, to get together, be holy together, and shine. But there's this important phrase that I've been waiting on. Because so far I've been talking about work, our work, our obedience, our pouring out, our striving, our working hard. Look at verse 13. Right down here. Very, look, right about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is just this bombshell of a statement that has so much theology, so much richness into it. We work. Because God is working. This is why it's not legalistic for me to stand up here and say, work, work, work. Because God is working in you. As I already said in Philippians 1, 6, God began the good work. He's going to complete it. And guess what? He sustains it all the way through. He is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. To will, that word is also, it's actually really better translated desire or to wish. Paul uses it all throughout his letters. The desire. God not only gives you the energy to work, He gives you the desire to work. That's what it means to be a Christian. God has implanted in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in Christ. He gives you new desires. He gives you new appetite. So do you want to work? So I have to stop right now and say, do you, do you have the desire? When I'm saying this, do you, do you have the desire to live for God? If not, then examine your heart. Say, Lord... Am I, am I a believer? Am I, am I your child? Children don't work to be a child. That's just who they are. We're beloved children. God is our Father. If you're constantly working to try to earn your salvation, try to earn God's grace, then you might not be a Christian. And so this morning, embrace Christ for all that He's done for you. And God will implant inside of you a new heart with new desires to will and to work in you. He works in us. But, we, but, we, but, but how does he do that? It's not as if he's, he's doing it in us. You know, if you've ever seen a dad with their, with their kid uh, teaching them how to swing a bat, you know, you first do that. What does the dad do? He puts his arms around him 
and, and, and swings the bat. You know, it's the dad really doing it. You know, the kid's like, whoa, but it's dad's, dad's the one that's doing it. I like remind my girls, hey, that was me. You know, that was me. You didn't do that. That was me. I'm kidding. I probably have done that. I'm that bad of a dad. Uh, that's not what this is like. That's, God, isn't, God isn't doing it for us, okay? God is sovereign, but we, we are, we're human. We're not robots. Have you ever seen Angels in the Outfield, an old, old Danny Glover movie? That's more what it's like. For those of you who've never seen it, it's this great baseball movie, uh, kids baseball movie, you know, where these... Think, is it the Angels? And it? Yeah, it's the Angels. Uh, Anaheim Angels, California, from California. And they're a horrible team. But all of a sudden, Angels decide to show up and help them out. So, like, there's this big fly ball hit out to center field. The guy goes up to catch it. And normally, he wouldn't be able to because he's not good. But this movie, it's really funny. An angel all of a sudden appears and kind of picks him up. And he's just like, whoa, and catches it. And it's like this, he's like, whoa, what's happening? The Angels are, like, making the balls go faster. That's kind of more what it's like, okay? There's this... There's this power inside of us that allows us to do it. And it's a mystery. We can't really get at it. It's a mystery. This is one of the greatest mysteries of the Bible. You've got God's sovereignty. One of the main things about God's godness is his sovereignty. He is in control. In Proverbs it says our hearts are in his hand that he can steer whichever way he desires. He's sovereign. We can't get away from that. But also on the other side... We are, we are free. We are human. We make decisions. And God holds us responsible to those decisions. And so much of, of, of Christian talk, it, we're fighting between these two things. My pastor growing up, he said, you know, there's this pillar of God's sovereignty, this pillar of man's responsibility. We, we think they're opposed from each other. But when we step back, we look that they are two pillars that are, that are holding the roof of God's glory. That when we step back, we see God in this mysterious way. He is sovereign over us, but he still asks us to, to work, to obey. We still have to do. When I, when I drive home and I, and I get my, in my car, and I'm getting in my car, I can't just sit there and say, okay, God, be a dad for me. Hum, you know, and all of a sudden, I'm just going to be in there and somehow my kids feel played with because God said, no, no, no. I got to open the door, pray, pray some more, and go love my kids. And it's God who's working that in me. When Jesus healed the man with shriveled legs, it was the man that got up and walked. When Jesus called Lazarus from the grave, it was Lazarus who walked out. When God fills you with compassion, it is you who goes and serves the poor. When God inclines your heart to his word, it is you who sets the alarm and gets out of bed early and reads your Bible and sacrifices sleep to spend time with God. When God gives you purity for your marriage, it is you who clicks away from the pornographic site. We got to fight. We got to fight. God's looking for soldiers. That's what Epaphrodites and Timothy are called, what Paul calls them, workers, soldiers. Are there any soldiers here this morning that are ready to fight, that are ready to work? For the glory of God, for the love of their children, the love of their family, the love of their neighbors. But it's God who's doing it in you because he gets the glory. There's one last thing to say. I said at the core of, of God's godness was his, his sovereignty, but also the core of God's godness is his goodness. 
That's what, the, that's what that's we see the rest of this passage. Look at uh, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in you because it pleases him. And, and we in our society, we're so anti-authoritarian. We see this phrase and we're kind of like, what? It's kind of, see this puppet master that's just kind of playing with us just so he can get some kicks and giggles? You know, why is he, you know, we don't like this. But God is a good God. He's a good God and he's proven it to us. And so when God works for his good pleasure, here's the secret. He's working for your pleasure. He's working for your joy. He's working for your happiness. Have you ever seen God like that before? God is working for your joy. Because what has Paul been talking this entire time? He said he, how he's pouring himself out. He describes his work as working for their progress and joy in the faith. And then you see all through this last section. If I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. And then he's going to say at least three more times, rejoice in the Lord always. The Christian life is the one of the most lasting, purest, total, eternal happiness, joy. God is working for his pleasure, but he delights to delight his people. When he is working in your life, to work in other people's lives, it's producing joy in your life. It's producing joy in God. It's this never-ending cycle of joy. Joy is one of the most pure emotions of the Christian. It's in our DNA. It's not duty. It's delight. So if you're not a very joyful person, that means you're, because you're probably just working for yourself. This is what, this is the back to that question I asked in the very beginning of the sermon. Are you living for your own happiness, trying to maximize your own pleasure? Because if you are, you're selling yourself short. You might be getting some pleasure from, from what you're doing. We know what it's like that. We all know to have that feeling of that sin that, that we give into it. Hey, there's a pleasure in that. There is. It's sick. It's twisted, but there's a pleasure. There is a pleasure in retirement and, and living your life totally for yourself and, and going on the cruises and making life. There's a pleasure in that, but oh, it's so puny because it's so, it's, it's, it's finite. It's just going to last for what? A, a moment? A second? A few years? We're talking about millennia. I'm talking about eternity. God wants to bring you joy to delight you for eternity in himself. So that's, this, that's this, this, this thread I'm trying to weave here is work hard, but work for your joy. Work for the joy of others. And it produces delight in God and delight in you. I heard this, I'll end with this story. I, my kindergarten teacher, I heard this from her uh, years later, that she had this son that was depressed. He was in college. He was a freshman in college. And he just uh, just had, had, had gone to college. It wasn't what he thought. And he was just depressed. And so he goes home and says, Mom, love me. Love me, Mom, please. You know, we go home to our moms and want them to love us, and, which is good. Uh, but it's just like pity party that he was kind of throwing for himself. He's like, Mom, what should I do? You know what she said? It's brilliant. Go back to college and love somebody. Go volunteer somewhere. Get out of yourself. 
Get out of your own mind. Isolated people, people are often depressed people because we're, we're sinners. That's what's going to happen. I might enjoy being with myself for a little bit. If that's all I am, just focus, 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 I'm going sh- to ruin myself. I'm going to let myself down. It's going to be miserable. So, pour, so she said, pour yourself out. And that's what I'm telling you this morning. So I'm pleading with you this morning. Pour yourself out. If you're a parent, pour yourself out for your kids. If you're a grandparent, pour yourself out for your kids, for your grandchildren. If you're in a community group, pour yourself out for, for the, those people in your community group. If you're not in a community group, get in a community group. You're, you're wasting your joy. Let me pray for us. God, we know that you care about your glory. That you, it's, it's your pleasure to work in such a way that you are glorified. But Lord, I just pray, God, in, in some form or fashion, some, some way, Lord, help us to grasp this morning that as you work for your glory, you're working for our joy. That you are working in us the desires and the, the ability to, to love other people, to consider others more important than ourselves. God, will you please do this? Please, God, please, God. Help our church to be a church that, that loves one another well that pours ourselves out, that isn't coasting, so we don't coast into eternity, that we don't, wear, that we don't rust out, that we wear out our lives living for each other and living for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.